listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Luke 10, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would meet us here this morning, that as we encounter your word, you would encounter us as we are, where we are, but that you would not leave us there, that you would change us. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here, may they be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Two peanuts were walking down the street. One of them was assaulted. That has nothing to do with anything. I just, it's been on my mind, and I figured I would share it with you. You can thank me later. Um, so there was a survey done in uh, a number of years ago by the Institute for the American Church. And what they did was they surveyed 14,000 people, and they asked them this simple question. Stan, we can go to the first slide there. The question was, who or what was responsible for you coming to Christ and your church? 14,000 people. They asked this question, and these were the responses that they got. So a certain percentage of people responded to that question by saying they just walked in, just darkened the doors of the church. Uh, Another percentage came because they had a special need. Another percentage came because of the pastor. Other reasons were cold calling, uh, Sunday school, evangelistic crusades of all kinds, the church program, and a friend or relative invited them. I asked this, this question, I, I shared with you the results of this survey uh, a while back, but it was in a different setting. It was in a, a, a meeting that, that we were having. I believe it was a quarterly meeting. So I want you to just have this at the back of your mind, kind of be thinking, you know, what do I think, what would I guess would be the answer to each of these percentages? How, like, how, how many? Which one do you think is the most? Which one do you think is the less? Uh, and about where would that be on the spectrum? We'll come back to it later. Today, I want to zoom in on our passage that we read from Luke chapter 10, 
This is a great passage. If there's ever a passage in Scripture that it's worth dwelling on and and reading over and over again, particularly when it comes to having this, this missional mindset and this idea of us being God's missionaries, this is it. Luke 10, verses 1 through 12. And you can even keep going there, and you'll, you'll see the results all the way up to verse uh, 20. But I want to zoom in this morning on just a few verses, verses 4 through 8. So I'm going to read those to you one more time. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Today, I want to just mention three things. There there are many things that we can pull out of this text. There are many things that, as you're reading through it, you'd probably say, oh man, that, that really jumps out at me, or that particular part grabs my attention. I want to offer to you three observations that I think are really key to us understanding ministry and how Jesus calls us to do ministry. So, so here's your first one, point number one. Ministry happens in homes. In this particular passage, ministry happens in homes. It starts there. Jesus says what? When you first enter a synagogue? No. When you first enter a church building? Didn't have those back then. No. When you first enter a house, first say peace to this house. Jesus kind of takes it for granted that the starting point of ministry is in someone's home. I don't know if you've noticed this with with people, but there's something about coming into someone's home uh, where there's a a wall that that kind of drops away. There's, we all sort of have our our shields up, right, as far as getting to know one another, especially when we're in a a public kind of space. But when you get somewhere that you are familiar, somewhere that that you know and that, that you love, that you're just comfortable in, your guard kind of drops, doesn't it? You ever notice this? I'm going to share with you a story about a gentleman named Gunther, the German Buddhist potter who lived in Ireland. Bethany and I, before we took our first call, we went on a trip to Ireland. I had to drive on the left side of the road. It was terrible. It's not how the Lord intended it. Um, the roads there were so narrow, literally. We had, there were points where we had to stop and like back up, get out of the, the way because there was another vehicle coming. I don't know. I, I can't wrap my mind around it. it. It was very frustrating to me. That's not the story. That's just a sidebar. Um, one of the towns that we stayed in was Kersavine. I'm not saying that right, but it's in County Kerry, kind of like the southwestern part of Ireland. And... Um, when we were there, we were just walking around. It's kind of a little quaint town, and we were exploring and walking down the shops, down the streets, and, and checking out the different shops that there were. And uh, we walked into one shop in particular, and we went inside. And it was, a, it was a beautiful shop. It was a gentleman who was a craftsman. He was an artisan. Uh, and his name was Gunther. And he had all of this, this beautiful pottery that, that he had just 
created himself. And it wasn't a busy day. He didn't have a ton of customers. So we started talking to him. And he had no shortage of ideas about how we should spend our time in the area, where we should go, what we should do. Just kind of a, a tour guide sort of mentality. And as we were kind of wrapping up, we asked him, well, are there public restrooms around here? And he said, oh, there are, but you really don't want to use those. They're, they're filthy. Why don't you just come down to my place? My apartment is just below the store. Come down. You know, it's, it's nice. It's clean. You can use it. So we, we did. We went down. And, and as we walked into to Gunther's apartment, we started to look around. And I noticed a lot of religious symbolism, a lot of imagery that was very foreign to me. It was, it was pretty clear it was not Christian. It was of some, I could tell it was Eastern of some sort. I didn't, didn't, know, didn't know what exactly. But as we, we saw the art, we kind of started talking. This opened up a, a dialogue. And before I knew it, over the course of an hour, Gunther made us tea. Do you remember this? He made us tea. He made us coffee. We sat there for about an hour, and we heard almost this guy's entire life story. We didn't ask for it. We didn't say, tell us your life story, please. But we got that. And it was kind of, it was a beautiful moment of intimacy because the things that he shared with us, he talked about his battle with cancer. He talked with us, kind of complete strangers, about his divorce and how painful that had been for him. And how lonely he was in Ireland, being away from, from family and friends. He spoke about how one day he was so lonely, he walked to the edge of one of those beautiful cliffs and contemplated suicide. And as we were talking, little by little, we had the opportunity to share not everything, but just a glimpse of the Christian faith. And just a, you take the, the cap off the perfume bottle and give him a whiff and you put it back on. Just a little. And we ended up having this conversation about Christianity and about Buddhism. Come to find out he is a, a Buddhist. Uh, the conversation took a turn. It turned a little more apologetic at, by the end of it, which was okay, actually. It was very respectful. But all of that happened within the intimacy of his home, Right? I can't foresee, I mean, God can work in a, a multiplicity of ways, right? But that didn't happen in a public space. It happened in his home. So that's point number one. Jesus' call is to go where people are rather than so much just inviting them to come. So it, it, ministry happens in, in homes. That's point number one. Number two, ministry involves food. Can I get a hallelujah? Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord for that, right? <laughs> oh, man. It's, in this passage, Jesus repeats, repeats this. He says, eat and drink essentially what is set before you. Eat and drink what they give you. He says this twice. When Jesus says something once, we should probably pay attention. When he says it twice, we might want to underline that or highlight it because it's pretty important. There's something about food that goes even one step further than being in someone's house and kind of creates a, an intimacy or an environment where we can talk, we can share, and it just kind of normalizes conversation. Um, 
Eat and drink what is set before you. I kind of feel like as a pastor, this was in the fine print of my call letter. I didn't read that. I didn't read that part, right? But, you know, preach on Sundays, administer communion, visit people, eat what and drink is set before you. Like, when I go over to people's houses, it's, uh, it's so much fun. I love, I love that as your pastor, I get to do that, right? I get to actually be a part of your life. Um, it's so wonderful when, when people do that, when, when, they welcome, when they welcome you in. And I used to think this whole food thing, like, it's just, what, like, it is what it is, right? We're, we're Midwestern people, we like to eat. I guess everybody likes to eat. But in the Midwest, in particular, we've... Right? We've got our appetites. But I come to see that this is actually a, a really important form of hospitality. Right? And when you open up your home, when you open up a place at your table for someone, what you're doing is you're opening up your life to them. You're making yourself vulnerable and, and open and honest and welcoming. Right? It's not just about saying the words welcome, it's about reinforcing that with how, how we live. So table fellowship, there's just this super important thing in getting to know people, and it's not something we can afford to ignore. So that's briefly number two. So one is ministry happens in homes. Number two, ministry involves food. Number three, ministry involves staying put. What in the world do I mean by that? Missionaries go. Missionaries are sent. We don't stay put. Well, here's what Jesus says in this passage. He says, do not move around from house to house. Do not move around from house to house. In other words, when you find a person of peace, when you encounter someone who is open to relationship, who is open to to friendship, stick with that. Right? Persevere in that relationship. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a results-oriented person where I like to say, okay, what's my, what's my goal in this relationship that I'm building with someone? Like, what's the point? And I think, okay, well, if it's a non-Christian, I, my hope is that I, I lead them to faith and I lead them to Christ and make them, you know, bring them into, into the church. But... Jesus seems pretty concerned about us having more of a, a relational approach to it than trying to just accomplish some purpose, because people are not projects, and when we make them into projects, they smell that a mile away, and you destroy that, we open ourselves up to some, um, to some pretty bad stuff, right? That relationship won't stand a chance. So when we find someone open to a relationship, invest in it, right? And that, that, that takes time. That's not a day or two. That's not even a week or two. Sometimes, sometimes that's years. Sometimes it happens instantly, and that's really cool when it does. I think of myself as an example, just to keep shining the spotlight on myself. I'm so sorry I do this, but I am me. So I guess the, the, the ideas that come to mind are experiences from my own life. But I think of when I was in the dorms at, at, at college, I'm an introvert, okay? I don't make friends all that well. I love all of you, but I'm just, I'm just really bad at, at making friends and kind of keeping friends. 
But there was a time in my life that I had a really good pack of friends, and this was at Wheaton College. And I, thinking back on it, part of the reason that we were all such good friends is we all stayed in the dorm together. We did life together 24-7. We lived five feet away from each other. We went to, to eat food together. We encouraged one another when we were too scared to ask out the cute girl who worked in the coffee shop. Sorry, that's oddly specific, but you get what I'm saying, right? And that took years for me to get to the point where I was willing to say, okay, I trust these people. I know them, and, and I can rely on them, and I'm willing to be vulnerable with them, right? So that, that takes time. So investing in those relationships. It's, it's easy to kind of spread ourselves thin. But Jesus says, do not move around from house to house. Now, all of this, to kind of summarize it, a, a gentleman by the name of James Edwards, who's a New Testament scholar, actually he taught at Jamestown College for a number of years, interestingly. Uh, he says this, and this does such a good job of, of summarizing everything in in this passage, the instructions to greet homes in peace, sit at table eating and drinking what is offered by hosts, and not move around from place to place depicts a mission of relationships rather than programs. The mission is thus not a crusade, strategy, or program, but an interpersonal encounter in which the gospel is proclaimed within the context of trusting relationships. This is a shift. I'm going to share some of this with you again because it is so important. These instructions depict a mission of relationships rather than programs. And this mission is not a crusade strategy or program, but an interpersonal encounter in which the gospel is proclaimed within the context of trusting relationships. You can go to the next slide, Stan. In the 80s and 90s, there's this thing called the megachurch movement. It uh, just started up, and it's, it's, it's still alive and well today. There are megachurches all over the place. And it, it's wonderful when, when God brings us together. And it makes sense, right? If there's a lot of people, you're going to have a, a big church. But one thing that's, that's new about the megachurch movement is the, is the emphasis on programming. Programming, Right? This is, <laughs> I love this, this visual here because it's so true. Like, what do, they, what do they offer? This is a full-service church. We got baptism, confirmation, dedication, evangelism, explosion, discipleship ministry, premarital counseling, marriage counseling, divorce counseling, singles ministry, Sunday school, day school, summer school, foreign missions, home missions, camping retreats, premillennial fellowship, amillennial fellowship, contemporary music, traditional music, no music, political action, preaching, seniors, saints fellowship, Whatever that next one is, ambulance ministry, theology, weddings, funerals, new ministries being added each week. Hallelujah. Or you're exhausted by the end of just reading that. <laughs> See, for close to 2,000 years, the church existed without this particular emphasis on having customized programming to meet every single felt need. Now, our programs, 
And this emphasis on programs, every church needs programs of some sort, right? You've got to have programs. We have to have some sort of structure. But what's new about kind of the megachurch movement is the particular emphasis in that the programs drive the ministry. It's a program-driven approach as opposed to a relational-driven approach. And I'm gonna, we're going to share a, a video here, Stan. We can, we can pull this, this video up. And this video is going to do, do a better job than I can of, of explaining this in kind of a, a visual way that this shift from kind of an institutional church to more of a missional mindset. So watch this, this little clip. going off of what you saw in that video, a good self-diagnostic question for, for churches to ask themselves is, are we a program-driven church or a people-driven church? Are we program-driven or are we people-driven? Now, again, every church needs both, right? But what drives us? What, what is it that, that drives us? And the default response that, that, that most of us, that most people in any church would want to give is, well, of course, we're, we're, a, we're a people-driven church. We're here for people. We care about people. But here's, here's kind of a clue as to where you fall on that, on that spectrum. Um, if your default response to any new need that arises within the church is to create a program addressing that particular need, that sort of shows where you land on that, on that spectrum, right? If, if, if our go-to response, whenever there's, there's something new that's needed, is we need to create a new church program to address that, 
that kind of tells us the extent to which the idea of, of programs has infiltrated and become the baseline for how we do ministry. Now, again, programs, events, good, very, very good. The downsides of them, I don't know if anybody here has ever planned an event, but like, it takes a whole lot of energy, it takes a whole lot of time, it takes a whole lot of people and resources and planning. Other downside is that programs become idols, don't they? We all get our favorite programs, we all get our favorite thing that we kind of latch onto. This is the tendency of the human heart. This isn't anything new. But they easily become that way, something that we will not part with for anything. You see, for missional churches, the lion's share of ministry is going to happen outside of church programs. Say that one more time. For missional churches, the lion's share of ministry is going to happen outside of church programs. We talked a while back about this distinction between, I don't know if you remember this, this was a while ago, this distinction between the church gathered and the church scattered, right? So like here, Sunday mornings, we are the church gathered. We are all together, singing, praising the Lord, hearing from His Word, and we gather together for, for Bible study, we gather together for youth group, and, and all of these things, and these are, these are wonderful, and they're, they're crucial, and we need these. That's the church gathered. But 80, 90% of your life, you're actually the church scattered, right? We're not gathered here together. We're at our jobs, we're at the gym, we're at the lake, we're all over the place. But we are no less the church there than we are here when we're gathered. That distinction is, is really important between the church gathered and the church dispersed. So to sum all of this up, we can go to the next slide there, Stan. God is in the people's business. Programs are just a means to that end. See, it's, it's a way of, of framing, framing the way that we understand programs and, and their purpose for us. All right, let's see how you did on the quiz. You can go to the next slide here. Who or what was responsible for you coming to Christ and your church? You can shout out your answer. Just walked in, 3 to 4%. Okay, I'll, I'll ask you guys this next one. You shout it out, and then Stan will put up the answer. What percentage came because of a special need, would you guess? Two. Any other guesses? Two to three. Two to three. What do we're getting brave here. All right, what do we got there, Stan? Okay. Thinking we had a prophet among us. All right. What about the pastor? Be careful with this one. What do you got? What do you think? Five. What do we got, Stan? Three to five percent. How about cold calling? What would, be, what would be your guess for that one? One percent? What do you got, Stan? One to two percent. Sunday school, what do you think? Six, three, ten. What do we got here? Four to five percent. 
How about evangelistic crusades of all kinds? What do you guess? 6%, The church program. What do you think? Five? Three to four percent. How about a friend or relative? What do we got? Friends, I have been so encouraged by the positive feedback from this sermon series. It's really been overwhelming. Today is our last Sunday of missionaries, but we don't want the discussion to end here. We want this to be something that continues. The words that we've learned, the vocabulary that we, we use. It's my hope and the elders' hope that, that these ideas would continue to percolate would continue to be expressed during coffee and donut hour and in your homes and at the dinner table and in Sunday school. In fact, just as a preview, this upcoming spring, 2023, we're actually going to have a Sunday school class specifically geared and centered around this same topic. So be on the lookout for that. I am God's missionary. That's our our main point. Can you say that with me one more time? I am God's missionary. It's not about just crossing oceans and distributing Bibles in the bush. That's not what makes a missionary. See, a missionary is anyone participating in God's redemptive mission to restore a lost and broken world through the shed blood of His Son. See, the results of this mission have been guaranteed since Genesis 3.15. Our attitude is not like that of Gimli the dwarf. Certainty of death, small chance of success, what are we waiting for? That's not the Christian's battle cry at all because the end result isn't up in the air. It's not a question of whether God's mission will be completed or not. He has promised that it will be a success. We heard how Jesus sent out the 72 in today's text, but let's hear what happens now when they come back. So we'll turn back to our passage from Luke 10, and we'll read verses 17 through 20. So they go out, they do the mission stuff, and they come back. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Isn't that encouraging? As they're going about in people's homes, eating food, drinking food, doing life, sharing the gospel... As they're doing all of this, Satan is falling from his throne. Yeah, right? Amazing. It doesn't look that way from the outside. Like, this just looks like simple ministry, everyday kind of stuff. But what is God doing through that? He's winning the victory. He's defeating the enemy. Satan falls. The enemy is defeated. Jesus wins. It's kind of like this. Even though we're only in the middle of the book... We know how the final chapter ends. 
and they all lived happily ever after. And you see, friends, Christianity is the only story in which that ending is actually true. So may our souls find rest in that promise, and may the Holy Spirit empower us to share it with others. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.